Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Mike Mistretta, CIO at Virginia Hospital Center. In this segment, he talks about the key factors that help them to complete an implementation within a short time frame, the enormous benefits of relying on in-house super users rather than hiring consultants, and why there are no rush to go from stabilization to optimization mode. So I think the best way to start is with an overview about Virginia Hospital Center, what you have in terms of bed size and, of course, where you're located, things like that. Sure. We are just under 400 beds. I think it's 397 is the licensed bed count. But it's kind of misleading because we typically run a census with observation patients. We've actually been as high as 480 at points in time. So it's it's a very busy facility and we're looking to expand for that very reason at this point in time. Virginia Hospital Center is in Arlington, Virginia, which is uh, obviously right across the river from Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and we're the last independent hospital in the D.C. market of, oh, wow. that's left remaining. Okay. I know that you're, you're surrounded by some pretty large systems where yeah. you're located. Primary competition on the Virginia side is Inova. If you cross the river, there's MedStar, there's Hopkins. There, there's some pretty big players in the market for sure. Right. And you said uh, looking to expand, and yep. that's something that that's, there's plans underway for it that is. right now? Yeah, it is. We actually have a proposal, and Virginia is a certificate of need state, so we have to go through the whole process for CON for that, but we are actually in the process of acquiring a five-acre piece of property from the county that's right next door so that we can build a outpatient services pavilion there and move some services out of the current hospital and retrofit those in, into beds. The plan right now is to, we'll, we'll probably hit about another total, about 550, I would say, in, in the next three to four years is what we're looking at. Okay, and that, that's a pretty densely populated area, so I imagine that there is a lot of need to expand out. Yeah, and, and it's still growing. It's one of the only urban areas that's actually still expanding when you look at the census data, which is drives the need. Like I said, we, we've actually hit censuses in the 480s on the current thing, even without the population growth and migration that's coming. Okay. And I know that I've kind of been uh, following the Epic Go Live through some of the updates, which has been great to see, but wanted to talk about that, obviously really a a big uh, undertaking. Going back a little bit, when did this all start? Like, When was Epic selected? Um, Shortly after I came, the board had basically approached me in the end of 2016 to start an initiative to replace what I'll call the mishmash of systems that we had. For a variety of reasons, they weren't talking well together. They weren't implemented very, very effectively. And really, it was becoming a little bit of a patient safety issue and certainly a productivity issue with the way the systems were interoperating. So we actually started the RFP process at the beginning of 2016. We took about six months to go through that process, selected EPIC, and then took the remaining six months of uh, 16 to basically uh, negotiate the contract. And the last couple of months was building the foundation, if you will, I guess, for the project team in in November, December of 17. Mm -hmm. So we had the contract selected in the fourth quarter of 17. Okay. And then uh, as far as the implementation strategy, can you talk about how that was approached? 
Well, we really wanted to make sure that we were cognizant of, from a patient perspective and the impact on, on our patient population. One of the things about this health system that I've been very impressed with and we worked with several others is the focus on the patient and our patient engagement scores and, and really wanting to optimize that, that experience for them, um, which is one of the reasons that we selected EPIC. As a part of that, when we started talking about how do we want to do the implementation strategy, our board and, and uh, our executive team were pretty fully engaged, and we made a decision that uh, we were going to do everything with a big bang because we didn't want a disruption between our employed physician practices and the, you know, the inpatient facility. We wanted everything to be as seamless as it possibly could be from a patient perspective. Interesting thing is, you know, that makes it a, a little bit more challenging on us from the technical side, obviously, supporting oh, yeah. all the different points of care simultaneously and building out a deeper build out there to get everything done at the same time. But uh, we just wanted to make sure it was right for the patients at, at the end of the day. Right. What about in terms of uh, training and, and staffing up? Did you choose to use a third party or consultants, anything like that? It's a great question because I think we were a little bit different from an EPIC perspective. We did one engagement with, with a third party just from a revenue cycle preparation perspective to make sure we had all the parts because we wanted to move to a consolidated billing office instead of having ambulatory separate and broken out. Uh, but that was really the only significant engagement that we did with consultants. What I did is I moved over my existing application team, for the most part, into EPIC, and we did outsource the legacy support to a third party. Mm -hmm. But that was really the only place that we used any significant third parties. We did use them as we went through, as, as you might imagine, when we lost a resource for a variety of reasons, for relocation or something like that, or we just ran into where we needed resource augmentation. But it was ones and twos numbers. It wasn't of significant uh, numbers on the build side. We did use a couple of companies, I think three companies actually, for the go live itself, which was you know kind of a one-time event where we need to just staff up for super user support and, and at the elbow support for the physicians and that type of thing, and to augment our help desk to take phone calls. But outside of that, with the build and everything, we pretty much did that on our own so that we retain that knowledge you know, when we're moving forward now. I think we're going to be better off for that. Right. That is interesting. Um, not, not typically what we hear from Epic customers, but certainly seems like um, it was the right call and that it worked out well for you guys. Yeah. You know, when, as I was putting together the project team, that was pretty much my call, actually. And it was a little bit of a risk, as you might imagine, yeah. with the knowledge base not being here. But uh, we were able to work with Epic to supplement in some areas where we needed to. Not their typical model, obviously. But uh, being a community hospital, it was much more cost-effective for us to hire than it was going to be to, to bring in a bunch of outside consultants at two to three times the rate of what we hire at. Right. And like you said, you wanted to keep that experience in-house afterward. Yeah, we do. And, you know, fortunately throughout the project, I think we only lost two or three people we hired uh, on the project team over 100, so the, the retention rate was very good as well. Right. So in terms of, of the implementation from start to go live, that was a quick timeline. Yeah, we did it in just about between 16 and 17 months. 
There was a couple of months where we did some very high-level planning with Epic, but we really did it in between uh, 16 to 17 months Mm -hmm. from start to finish. And I think two reasons we were able to do that. One, we stayed primarily to the foundation system, so we did not deviate with that. And uh, one of the things that was very helpful was my CEO basically stood up in front of the leadership and said uh, any deviations from foundation workflows require his approval. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get a whole lot of them, as you might imagine. Right, right. <laughs> so that kept the scope pretty solid. Just you know, one of the challenges when you go through these things, everyone wanting their little piece of the pie, and we didn't have to deal with a lot of that through the implementation. And then with the limited turnover that we had, obviously that that helped substantially also. But we also had very very active end user support from our clinicians and billing office and and such. This truly was a fantastic organizational initiative. It wasn't an IT initiative at all. Great. And you mentioned the the super users. How were you able to to recruit them? What was that process like? Well, we went to each area and we basically said, here's the level of support that uh, we're looking to train so that there's additional training and stuff that these folks all went through. First, we took volunteers, and of course, those volunteers were all vetted through their managers, so we made sure we got the right people to do it. But uh, we chose to to take actually people out of staffing and dedicate them to these processes for super users and then backfill if we needed to take in outside resources to backfill for their, their regular rotations. We went that route instead of hiring again to retain the knowledge once we were done with, with this so that all of that training and, and stuff that we invested in are is still here now that we're live and people are starting to, to go back to staffing now. Right. And, and I'm sure that really did make a, a tremendous difference at the go-live, having, having those super users on hand. It does, and, and not only for the go-live, but I think ongoing we're going to be a stronger organization for it as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And in terms of the different modules, it looks like you went, I don't know if you would say full menu, but it looks like there really was a lot of Epic across the board. Did you implement most of the modules? Yeah, there's only three modules that I'm aware of that we did not implement to date. Mm-hmm. Outpatient pharmacy, the tapestry, which is the insurance product. We don't have an insurance arm here. Mm-hmm. And their healthy planet, we did not do anything with that yet because population health just isn't a big deal for us just yet. Right. So those are the only three modules in their suite that we did not implement. Okay. You had mentioned earlier that the, the goal of the whole thing was to uh, have a better sense of interoperability, and that's between the hospital and also the, uh, the clinics or physician practices? Correct. And one of the other reasons is in Northern Virginia, there's that very high density of uh, EPIC facilities here, mm-hmm. and so care everywhere is becoming a big deal with us also. We have a very strong relationship with Kaiser, and uh, we have a whole floor almost of the hospital dedicated to Kaiser. So the ability institutionally to receive referrals and, and uh, transfers from their outpatient facilities is pretty strong as well. And so now are you officially in uh, optimization mode, or how, what's really the focus right now from your standpoint? Yeah, we're still stabilizing. This is a big discussion mm-hmm. we just had this morning. We're still in stabilization. When we're looking at ticket counts right now, we're about even with what we are resolving versus what is still coming in. Remember, we're only two weeks 
post go live. So that's right. Yeah. Um, we've basically told the organization at this point in time we're not going to be getting to optimization tickets uh, unless they're critical in nature, which some of them are that have come in uh, for 90 days at the earliest. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I forgot just just how new this was. So <laughs> stabilization makes sense as a priority right now. Yeah, we really just want to make sure we get it right out of the gate and everything is running as optimally as we can get it running, and then we'll start worrying about making changes to people's preferences and those types of things. Right. Okay. You talked before about patient experience. So can you talk about some of the priorities there as far as making sure that patients are satisfied and, and uh, how you measure that? Yeah, we've got a pretty big effort with the MyChart portion of the application. We've already got a pretty substantial blast out to our practice patient panels that went out two weeks before Go Live to start getting sign-ups and stuff. I haven't seen any metrics on exactly what the enrollments are. But as a part of that, we also have a lot of our patient forms and stuff on there that they fill out prior to coming to the office. We actually are getting self-scheduled patients through that now where they're scheduling their own appointments uh, that come into the practices based on blocks that we have opened up out there. And uh, obviously some of the communication back and forth from the secure messaging portions have been very successful. A lot of the letters that we used to fax or mail are now going out electronically through my chart as well. So it's been Again, two weeks in, and uh, we're pretty happy with the success rate that we have right now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.